morning. My name is Martin Bukari, a covenant partner, First Presby Church. Today we continue our series in Philippians, studying the faith of an underdog. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 18 reveals a right response to the gospel, the love of God showing through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Through Christ's service and obedience, he has been exalted to the place of laws of laws and king of kings. The church must obey Jesus, submitting to his rule and reign in all of life. This means many things, including choosing unity over division, glory over growing, shining over stumbling, and holding to his word over fumbling. Today's message offers meaning and rich transformation. Let us hear the word of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as light in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am be, to be poured out as a drink, offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let us follow me with the following response. All flesh is grass, and all its glory like the flower of the field. Amen, amen. It is a joy to be back with you, and we do welcome everybody who is joining us online. If you have a phone uh, or an ability to open a Bible, if you brought your Bibles, that's best case scenario. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. Uh, if you're joining us online, please open the Word uh, before you. Uh, our heart is to worship the Lord by submitting to His Word. This is a joyous opportunity to be with you and to study His Word together. But before we go to the Word of the Lord, let's go to the Lord of the Word and prayer together. Let's pray. Father, we are your people. Your work is accomplished. Would you be pleased right now by the power of your spirit to help us see how to apply it fully for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to unpack more of what it means to be a people who have received an identity, the gospel, the finished work of Jesus Christ, when we have faith in him, uh, we become something new. We are secure as children of God. Uh, we have been welcomed into the family of God. To use the language of Philippians, we have become citizens of heaven, of the kingdom of God. This is secure identity, and there are implications of this identity that we uh, begin to work out in our life. 
And we're going to focus on the meaning that comes from your received identity in Christ, not one that you have to perform for, but one that you have the opportunity to perform from. The focus will be meaning, shining. Now, meaning is very significant. Many people during this season of of social distancing have been looking for meaning, have been looking for purpose in their life. Season of struggle looking for substance. Viktor Frankl was uh, an Austrian neurologist, a brilliant man, was also a psychologist. He survived a concentration camp during World War II in Germany. And he wrote and reflected upon uh, his survival during that season of suffering and struggle. And he identified that the way that we make it through difficult difficulties is not by focusing on ourselves, our own pleasures, and our own positions or power, but it is finding meaning and purpose. Here, here's what he wrote. Life is never made unbearable by our circumstances, only by a lack of meaning and purpose. Those who were in concentration camps oriented towards meaning and purpose to be fulfilled by them in the future were the most likely to survive. Meaning helps us move forward. A psychologist that lives today is a guy named David Kessler, and he's written a lot of great stuff. He's one of the uh, global leaders in understanding grief. He's secular, but he has a whole lot of common grace Wisdom that he offers. He's put out some good material during this pandemic. Um, and while our hearts are looking for uh, heavenly handles for hope, his common grace uh, helps us to see how to step towards that direction. Uh, particularly being able to name what we're experiencing, the feelings that we're, that we're feeling, but finding uh, a scaffolding in our life that can give us strength, something that uh, the steps of grief can offer. And all of us have lost something. All of us have lost schedules. Some of us have lost loved ones uh, in this. Uh, we've lost control. We've lost certainty for the future. This is all space, that feeling, he says, that you feel it's grief. And interestingly, in his study research, he, he adds a sixth step to grief that, that I find uh, significant. And he says that sixth step is meaning. That if we're going to move through this season, we've got to find meaning and purpose. Now, uh, both uh, Frankel and Kessler, uh, I agree with them on the significance of meaning in their life. But the gospel, while the gospel agrees on the end a conclusion. It doesn't agree on the means to get there. The temptation uh, for us in a world where we see ourselves as a subject is to look for meaning and purpose on a horizontal level. Kessler, Kessler will say, hey, you need to connect with people more. You need to find meaning in community, and that's part of it. That's really fruit, not the root of it, right? The root of true meaning, says the gospel, is that you, in Jesus Christ, if that's where your faith is, you have a received identity. And because you belong to God, you You have meaning for works of faith that are for the glory of God. You're actually in a much larger story, and that's demonstrated by the love of God. Now, we talked about how you receive this identity last week, love, right? That it's the finished work of God, that God left the throne room of heaven, and he became man. He became obedient as a servant, even to the point of death, and that he voluntarily, 
represented you, that he died so that you could live. He was broken so you could be made whole. He was wounded for your transgression so that you can be forgiven. He voluntarily substituted himself in the grave so that you could be resurrected. And then he was exalted through the resurrection. And we're united with him in his ascension. He now sits on the throne so that every knee should bow and every tongue confess. He's Lord of lords. And we, we mentioned that even if you don't feel loved subjectively, objectively and historically, you are loved in Christ. It's a fact. In fact, rules feelings. Feelings are significant, but you can't always trust them. If you have hypothermia, your body gets really cold and you feel tired. But if you go to sleep and you don't stay awake to keep your body warm, you die. <laughs> you can't always trust your feelings. The fact is that in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you are loved. And you have this received identity as his beloved. And that from that, we can find the meaning that he's created us for. And this is exactly where Paul starts in this passage. If you look down in your Bible at verse 12, he starts with the word, Therefore. He's rooting this section in the finished work of Jesus Christ who now sits exalted on the throne over every ruler, every principality, every authority, everything visible, everything invisible. Jesus reigns. And this place of exaltation was accomplished through his submission in his place of humiliation as a servant. But through his work, he makes us his Beloved family members. That's where Paul goes next. Therefore, my beloved. The security that we have vertically leads to this horizontal new family, new creation, new community, new purpose. That is that we have the opportunity to live the love of God in all that we say, think, and do with our lips, in our lives, and in our labor in everything. But what, what does it mean to live our received identity in all of these areas? Well, the first thing Paul says is in obedience. He says, as you have always obeyed, uh, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. He, he started talking this way in chapter 1, verse 27, uh, talking about the church living uh, in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, whether he's there or whether he's not there. But he brings it up again, and he, what he does is he begins to make all kinds of Old Testament allusions. The people of God in the Old Testament, they were redeemed from Egypt, saved by the blood of the Lamb, called the people of God, the priesthood of believers. But what did they do when they were wandering in the wilderness of God, when things got difficult? When Moses went up on the mountain to meet with the Lord, you remember that? He went up to meet with God, and the Israelites decided that they were going to go meet with an idol. They gathered all their gold, they made a, a, a false god, a, a, a cow, and they started worshiping a cow right? And Paul is drawing, and he's going to do it all through this section, on the temptation in wilderness seasons to not obey, to stumble instead of shine, to grumble instead of uh, give God glory, and to lose our handle on life rather than hold on to the word of life that is God. That's our temptation. And Paul is saying, whether I'm away or I'm with you, you get to obey. And this isn't a work that we do so that God loves us. It is because we're secure in his love, because we're accepted. And obedience is an opportunity to be restored in the image of God, to find more of who he created us to be. We get to obey God. 
It's a beneficial rule and reign. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. And when we follow his divine design, his perfect pattern of righteousness, then we find more of who we're created to be and more of who he actually is. Obedience in this context. He's speaking of, of being a people who love instead of settle for division, who prioritize unity over division. But not only obeying in that, obeying in all things, whether you're at home in shelter and state or you're in church, whether you're uh, away in the wilderness or you're with God, feeling him very present, we're called to obey. We get to obey. We still worship God with our ties. Oh, I'm not in the church. I'm sorry, guys. Tithing's not for us. I mean, the church. God doesn't need your money. We tithe because we worship him and we trust him, even in the seasons of scarcity. We obey in our love. We love other people, even our enemies. We obey in our purity. Even when we're not in community, we don't go to places of pornography. We don't go to places of letting our minds be saturated and molded by the filth of media. It's not a real escape. We get to obey the Lord in everything. We still obey him in truth. We still seek justice. We still walk in humility. We obey because Jesus is Lord. He's the head of our lives, and he's the head of our church. We obey because Jesus is king, and that's what you do with a king. We like to be subjects of our lives, don't we? We like to be subjects of the story, subjects of conversation, subjects on social media, subjects so that people are talking about us. But the gospel frees us from a self-focused, self-centered, self-preserving life, and we become subjects of the king. We get to obey, and we find fullness in the beauty of obedience. And because the love of God is finished, secure, Jesus has already accomplished it, then you have the opportunity, if you're living outside of obedience, if you're living in disobedience, to repent, to turn to find restoration, renewal, the open arms of a heavenly father that welcomes us home. So what does it mean to really obey? Well, he says it right here, whether he's there or absence, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the end of verse three. You see, we obey uh, working out our salvation because it says God works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, we don't obey on our own strength. We don't obey even on our own desire. The gospel grows that in us. We have to obey sometimes out of duty and we discover the delight of obeying our divine king. But we obey because we have his spirit in us. God is working in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. This is a, a, a clear drawing upon the Old Testament prophecy of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 31 to 34. Read it later beautiful picture of the new covenant where his spirit is put in us in response to his love we walk in obedience we get to 
It's, a, it's an allusion to Ezekiel 36 when the prophet talks about uh, the new covenant where uh, God's love would be so clearly shown that his people would be given a new heart and a new spirit within them. You see, we work out our salvation uh, with fear and trembling, understand that God is king, and when we bring his rule and reign over absolutely everything, then we find a fullness and fruitfulness that our heart really longs to have. <laughs> it's amazing. Amazing the rejoicing that comes with the freedom of surrender. <laughs> Jesus is king. I'm not. I'm not the subject of the story. I get to be the subject of a beneficial, beautiful ruler. We do this from grace. This is consistent all through scripture, but I encourage you to look at Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 8, or most notably Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. It's a free gift of God, a gift of God. For you were created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works. You say, Mitchell, <laughs> I hear you, all right? obey. I hear you. All right, Mitchell, work out your salvation, but I thought you were talking about meaning, having purpose in life. Yeah, that's where this passage goes. Meaning in the mission of God, living as the people of God, under the rule of God, in the place where he has put us. We're all in desert times right now, wandering. And the temptation is to, to live by what we feel, our, our thirst, our hunger, our sense of lack of security, our unanswered questions. But we cannot allow those things to drive or define. And that's exactly where Paul goes here. To find meaning in the season that, that can move us to a place, not just where we get through or we emerge to a new normal, but really, as you've heard a lot of people say, where we really become better. That we emerge more like Christ, more as he intended us to be. The first thing that we see is that we find glory instead of groaning. Look at this passage. I love this. God's word is so potent and beautiful. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. It's interesting uh, that he uses language that described Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 32 when Israel was being described in their disobedience in the wilderness. They, he, they were called a crooked and twisted generation. But here, in the finished work of Christ, where we have been given righteousness and we get to obey, the disobedient culture, world around us, uh, even disobedient folks within the church, those are the crooked and twisted generation. The opportunity that we have is to, to find glory in our groaning. And you can look back in the Old Testament, the grumbling that he's referring to, you can read about it in Exodus chapter 16. Uh, we've already talked about it in Exodus chapter 32, or the description of it in Deuteronomy 32. It's all through the wilderness narratives because the Israelites were wandering in the desert. They didn't have food, so they were angry with God. They didn't have water, and so they were frustrated. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't have the answers, and so they actually, it says, that they spoke against God. They acted corruptly towards God. I mean, can you identify with that temptation, or do I just have a table for one up here? I mean, come on. And here's the thing, when the Israelites get to a Red Sea, when you get to a place in your wilderness wandering where you don't have the answers, right? And you know the enemy's pressing in, they're coming, you can see them pressing in, but you have the promises of God. All you have is the Red Sea in front of you. 
Are we going to grumble or are we going to understand that our areas of anxiety can possibly be arenas for God's glory? Because God can do the impossible. He will keep his promises. And when we allow ourselves to be secure as the people of God, trusting in the promises of God, secure in the identity of, as part of God's family, knowing he will not leave or forsake, he will provide. He might not give you, Alex always says this, everything you want, but he'll always give you everything you need. When we come up to, you just kind of amen yourself. Like, you know, it's kind of, anyway. <laughs> when we come up to our Red Sea moments where we have more questions than answers, more fear than faith, then those places will be a time for God to show glory. Glory over grumbling. And look at the next phrase at the end of verse 13. Look at it. It says, and you will shine as lights in the heaven. And what Paul does here is this is an amazing thing. I love this. He goes to a dark time in Israel's history, exile, and he pulls from a prophecy from Daniel. Daniel chapter 12, verses one to, or two to three. And here's what that says. Many of those who are asleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting content. And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. This time of darkness for Israel while they were in exile, there is this prophecy that they would shine as lights. Have you ever been out to the desert? Have you been to Big Ben? You need to go to Big Ben if you haven't been. It's six hours that way. And here's what's crazy. It's so dark at night. So dark. But you're not scared. You're humbled. Because when you look up, the darkness highlights the beauty and the majesty of the stars. It's amazing. In fact, the darkest place in the United States, McDonald's Observatory right outside of Fort Davis, right by Big Ben, it is majestic that somehow in the darkness, light shine the brightest. And what Paul is doing here, he's saying, look, you're part of a bigger story. Every time it's been dark, God's brought light. He is light and he uses his people. You have meaning. You have purpose. You matter. What he's done in the past, he's doing in the present, and it's only a foretaste of what he will do in the future. He is faithful, and your darkness is a chance to shine, not to work to shine, but just to be who God's created you to be. There is a larger story, our struggles, our suffering. It's not the end of the story. And I and you, we're not the subjects of the story. God is the subject. He's the hero. We're the subjects of the king. He's on the throne and everything bows to him. <laughs> it's amazing. What does that look like? I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. This week I asked a Sunday school teacher, I said, hey, how's God encouraging you this time? I know you kept meeting. Hey, uh, he's a Sunday school teacher for an older class in our congregation. And he was encouraging about how people keep meeting over Zoom and people are studying the Bible, but he couldn't stop talking about this one woman who's in her 90s. And she has every reason to feel the pain of this season of social distancing, all the loneliness that's very real and very difficult 
all the fears that are very real and understandable in a time of pandemic. But he started telling me that she's been bringing this friend that hasn't missed one of their Bible studies. She's been praying for this friend for 20 years. In this time, she had a, a, a guy called her this week and got the whole story just to tell her she encouraged me through this guy. He said she's known this person for 20 years and started to, to kind of connect him with the church until things shut down. And so she saw this as an opportunity, someone that doesn't know the Lord, getting connected deeper. 92, not defined by your loneliness, but because of who you are, shining like stars. And when it was dark on Wednesday morning, I was in a parking lot down here. Fifteen men gathered to pray just because they want to shine and want Jesus, God's love to shine. What is that? Just being who you are? Talk about inconvenience just to pray? Don't you have something better to do? <laughs> no. Powerful. You know, VBS happened this week. You know, parents were with their kids helping strengthen families spiritually during a time of pandemic or uh, partnering with our church through VBS unbelievable beautiful another great story of a woman on the east side uh, she got to move into a house this week she hadn't moved into a house single mom five kids she didn't uh, she was associated with one of our ministry partners um, didn't have what she needed to move in Sent an email out. By the time our congregation was done with her, she had every mattress, every bed, every side table, every lamp, everything for a kitchen, every table, everything. And our young adults decided to take up an offering in a time of uh, financial difficulty and raised well, a bunch of 20-year-olds almost $1,400 to give her H-E-B gift cards. <laughs> Shining like stars in the midst of a time. Why? To earn God's love? No. Because we know God's love. We are God's children. In this passage, you know, you, you see it in the Daniel passage. Look at those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness. Uh, my friend Will Carter, I just continue to grieve his loss. He died early in this pandemic. He has uh, told us uh, testimony several times. But I can't talk about this passage without talking about Will because on the cover of his testimony, he has these verses. And Will uh, spent years struggling uh, with cancer. And he didn't see his struggling and suffering as something that disqualified him. He actually saw it as a vehicle. He shared the gospel more when he was suffering through his chemo. He shared the gospel more through his suffering. And the further he got down in how he felt, the more he exalted the hope he had in the gospel. What is that? That's power, man. That happens when the Holy Spirit is inside of us, when we're secure in our identity and we understand that we have meaning and purpose. We're not defined by our circumstances, but by the finished work of Jesus Christ. How do we sustain something like that through our own effort? No, the Spirit that's inside of us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, says Paul. Jesus calls in John 16 the Holy Spirit our helper, 
the spirit of truth that convicts us and walks with us in truth. We have the word of truth, and this is the last thing that we see in this passage, that not only do we see glory over grumbling, not only do we shine over stumbling, and I didn't mention stumbling, but here's the deal. When you're wandering in the wilderness and your eyes are on yourself and you're self-focused, you're going to trip over your idols, you're going to trip over your, your very uh, healthy, helpful uh, feelings that can get misdirected very easily in times of anxiety and dis- disorientation. You're going to trip over yourself. You're going to stumble. But we can shine in the gospel, and the last thing that we see that happens is that we hold overfold. Now, this is not a time to bring in the Kenny Rogers song, You Got to Know When to Hold Them. Nope, not going to do it. By the way, just a side note, just something fun here. I know, um, and we got to go. But when we lived in Indonesia, you know what one of the biggest chicken restaurants was? Kenny Rogers Roasters. I mean, right, yeah. Anyway, somehow it made it big over there. But to hold them, this is what, this is what Paul says uh, right here. He, you'll shine like lights in the world, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. How can we obey Jesus as king if we don't know what his word is directing us to do? How can we walk the perfect pattern of righteousness if our feet don't see the light of his word? How can we delight in the law of God if we don't know his word and his direction. The fact is we can't. We hold fast to the word of life. How do we hold it? We hold it in our hearts. Do you meditate on God's word? Do you study God's word? Do you memorize God's word? If you don't, get a simple plan. You can read God's word. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you a Bible. You can keep it, free gift from us to you. What's the word for that? Value, that's right. Still value. (laughs) All right, we'll give you God's word. The point is that we can hold it in our hearts. If you want to study your Bible study reading plan, join me and Lisa at richlydwelling.com. You can subscribe or come to your email inbox. We just want you to get in the word so the word of God dwells richly in your hearts. But not only in your heart, in your hand. You want to know how to really learn the word of God? Seriously, obey it. Find the teaching of Jesus and seek to say, I belong to God. I'm going to obey his word. And struggle through that. Walk. Hold it in your hand and try to bring it out in your life. Really try to apply it. And when you fail, then you turn in grace. And you say, Lord, receive me. Refresh me. Renew me. I'm your child. He's not going to push you away. He'll restore you. And find accountability and help to walk with you. Hold it in your heart. Hold it in your hand. And hold it in your habit. You know, we used to say before the pandemic, I just don't have time to really read the Bible. How's that working for you now? (laughs) You got time. Build habits. Make small goals. Five chapters a week. Three chapters a week. Just get the word in your heart and your hand. Make it a habit. And watch how the rule of God is restored in your life. And what Paul does at the end of this chapter is he holds himself out as an example. And he, he, he goes back to um, the Old Testament again and describes his life as a living sacrifice. Paul is poured out so that the church can be filled up. Paul empties like Christ emptied himself so that the church can be exalted. He models this life of being poured out. And he, he does this again, again, God's word is beautiful. And in one of his last letters in 2 Timothy, this is how he ends. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. You see, I've kept the faith. 
The faith is what forms us and shapes us and sustains us. Faith, friends, faith in what Christ has done. Faith in the love of God. Faith in the finished work of Jesus. Faith in your secure identity that you've received. Faith in the freedom that comes through following Jesus. And the the result is something Paul repeatedly says at the end, that you will rejoice and be glad at the end of verse 17. He was an offering for your faith. He says, I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Are you glad? Are you rejoicing? If not, then turn back to the Lord. Live the identity you've received. Allow your circumstances to be, your areas of anxiety to be arenas for his glory. That's his, that's a, let, let, let your Red Sea moments be places where God does the impossible. Trust him. Believe his promises. Receive that identity and shine. Don't stumble over yourself. Live vertically, not horizontally. Find the meaning, the purpose that God has for every single person that belongs to him by faith. To do that, we have to look to God and live vertically. And so as we come to this last part, uh, I'm, I'm going to pray for us, but I want this song to be a prayer for you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Your word is amazing. Your work is beautiful. While we were your enemies and sinners, Lord, you died for us. Thank you for leaving the throne room of heaven for being obedient to death, even death on a cross, for voluntarily stepping in our place and dying so that we could live and then exalting yourself, that we might walk in a newness of life, that you live inside of us. Lord, help us believe that we might live fully in this identity that we have received in Christ. Lord Jesus, we long to shine and to have meaning in this time. Would you please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, work that in us and through us as we want you to get glory as our story comes into furthering yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.